You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the Zabecast, did you miss me? Of course you did. Well, I'm back, rested, tanned, and ready. It's Outrage Monday. We'll talk tournament with Chris Naki, Maryland basketball radio analyst. Tiger comes this close to winning again. All that plus my waterlogged iPhone and the Battle Royale that's coming up with Apple Care over that. You've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up, and let's go. Oh, here we go. Monday, March 12, 2018. Howdy, howdy. It is the most wonderful time of the year. I thought you sang that during the bowl season and the holidays. Yes, I do sing that old Andy Williams ditty then, but I also sing it now because really, what a week this is going to be. Not only tournament week begins, NCAA tournament, still an epic week of sports fandom where you are skirting your work duties to follow your bracket and to watch the games. We've got free agency coming in the NFL, and it's going to be a doozy. You know, I missed a bunch of trades and other NFL stories while I was gone in Jamaica. At least I missed talking about them here on the Zabecast. And I know there'll probably be some people saying, well, are you going to get to them now? Are you going to talk about all the trades the Browns made? And what do you think of this? I'll just give you my take in a nutshell. All of these moves and all of these things that teams do now, they all look great. They all look great on paper. You will find very few pundits, columnists, experts saying, ah, that move sucks. This guy's going to stink. Michael Bennett to the Eagles. Oh, my God, look on paper how good this looks with Brandon Graham and Chris Long and with all these other guys. Oh, my God. Well, it's on paper. Of course it looks great on paper. Richard Sherman. To the San Francisco 49ers. Oh my God. Uh, The Niners are for real. They've got Garoppolo now. And they got Richard Sherman now. We'll see. Same thing with the Rams. And loading up on two of the most hot-headed yet playmaking corners in the NFL. And Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib. On paper, it looks great. But we'll see how it actually plays out. Chances are, history says... More than half of these big splash free agents don't turn out the way you thought they would. Oh, and of course, the Packers decided to add another level of suck at the quarterback position behind Aaron Rodgers. I do not understand the appeal 
of Deshaun Kaiser whatsoever. You can say he was thrown to the wolves and given no supporting cast and no help, uh, rushed in too ready in Cleveland. You can say that. Or you can say he too, like Brett Hundley, is not an NFL caliber starting quarterback. So we'll see. Okay, having said that, let's get into this before we get going. Tigers come back. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But I'm going to start with my iPhone. Boo, talk about sports. Hey, man, it's the Zabecast. You tuned in to hear me. Let me just put this out as a public service announcement to one and all. All this talk about the new iPhone series, I think starting with the 7 and now the 8 and the X, all the marketing about how it's water-resistant is complete bullshit because my iPhone got ruined. Well, not ruined. It, it still works, but the camera is not right, and the screen is showing some issues, and who knows what else may happen in the coming days or weeks if I don't get this replaced. But my phone is basically ruined because I dared to believe Apple's marketing. Yes, they show the iPhone on their page now on Apple with a bunch of water on it, all splashed with water. Oh, don't worry now, iPhone users. We now are making our phones waterproof, just like Samsung has done now for several generations. And if not waterproof, water-resistant. And I know the difference between waterproof and water-resistant. What am I, an idiot? I know that. I didn't know about the IP uh, rating scale, the ingress prevention scale, which is an actual thing, IP rating of 67 for the iPhone, which is good but not great. Is that on a scale of 1 to 100? No, actually it's more fucked up than that. The 6 is a dust rating. And apparently a, a, the 6, the number 6, on the IP67 rating of the iPhone is the highest dust ingress prevention rating you can get. Seven, though, for water is uh, its not that great. It's better than nothing, but it's not great. You want IP69 to really have your device, your electronic device, be fully and totally waterproof. But according to an article I read from Time Magazine that explained the IP ratings, that according to these standards, an IP67 rated device like an iPhone is supposed to withstand, under laboratory conditions, submerging in water up to three feet in depth for up to 28 minutes and still be fine and still not have any ill effects. Well, I'm here to tell you that that IP rating is complete bullshit because my phone was in the pool in Jamaica for approximately 20 seconds at a depth of a foot. And almost immediately afterwards, the front camera lens got completely fogged up. And about two days later, the phone started showing in the upper right-hand corner uh, issues with its screen resolution and other stuff. I know, and put it in a bag of rice. Do this, do that. Bullshit. If you're going to market the phone as water-resistant, and if you're going to get a rating of IP67... Then it better be IP67. This was not IP67. Now, of course, they say, don't ever intentionally submerge your phone and don't go swimming with it and don't purposely do this or that or high-velocity water that could shoot in there like on a water slide or something. 
it would just be better if Apple had said, we can, this is not water resistant. Don't let water get on this phone. Don't let water get in this phone. We can't vouch for the phone resisting any water whatsoever. So I feel wronged. I want restitution. I'm going to the Verizon store today. And I'm going to say, hello, this is bullshit. Give me a new phone. We'll see what they say. I get an idea what they're going to say, which is, oh, see this red strip here inside the SIM card? That shows there is water damage, and water damage is not covered. Do you have Apple Care, sir? And I'll say, no, I don't have Apple Care, because guess what? A, I'm within one year. Number uh, B, uh, I take care of my shit normally. Well, why'd you bring it in the pool? Because I thought it was waterproof or water resistant. 20 seconds a foot under the water just to test it out. Ruined. I did see on my Verizon account, and this will be interesting, they have an opportunity to add total equipment protection even though I've had the phone now for three quarters of a year. Normally, they make you get this right away. Now, it's like 39 bucks a month. 39 bucks to get a brand new phone is a lot better than 800 don't you think? I wonder if they will let me sign up for total equipment protection and then come in the next day going, ah, oh, you wouldn't believe it. I dropped it in the sink, and it's wrecked. So here, give me a new phone. Stay tuned. I'll tell you how it turns out. Tiger's comeback was amazing. It was, still is amazing, is going on right now. Tiger's climb back to the pinnacle of the golfing world, and he is coming on like Terminator. Just week after week after week is an incredible story. It's one of the great sports stories in a long time, and it's maybe budding to be one of the greatest golf comeback stories in history, second only perhaps to one Ben Hogan. And if Tiger does come back to win the Masters either this year or another year or any major, I think there's a good argument to be made that it is greater than the Ben Hogan comeback from a near-fatal car crash uh, in the foggy morning uh, of Texas where he got hit by a bus and nearly died. Because if you think about it, Ben Hogan came back and won one major. Tiger Woods is coming back, and he is now starting to contend week in, week out, which is what he used to do once upon a time. And this is the early rumblings of his comeback. We're talking four back surgeries. We're talking spinal fusion, spinal, as Mike Tyson likes to say. We're talking knee injuries. We're talking the yips. We're talking the fact that he was jacked up on goofballs less than one year ago and found on the side of the road. Lucky that he's not dead from driving in such a blackout condition. Less than one year he's back. How do he do it? How is he doing it? First of all, there's two parts. There's the health part of it, which is either a modern medical miracle or just Tiger Woods finding a great back surgeon. There's a back surgeon whose name I don't remember. I saw it in an article. I'm not going to read it right now. It doesn't matter. Who did the surgery and... Admitted he did the surgery, but when reporters for a publication called the Back Institute that this doctor works for, Dr. Geyer, I believe his name is, he said, well, we can't even, according to HIPAA laws, admit that that patient that you're talking of, who is this, this Eldrick T. Woods? I've never heard of him. We can't even confirm that that patient was ever here at our facility. We're not allowed to do that. 
But Tiger Woods on his website uh, did say which doctor did the surgery and did say basically what was done. And it's possible that he just had a very good outcome, a very good outcome on spinal fusion surgery. I know several friends that have back issues, they're golfers, and it's it can be hell. It can be hell. Back issues in general, whether you're a golfer or not, are hell. My brother-in-law, God bless him, is dealing with back issues. And they're very tricky. And they're all different. But my friend Mikey O'Neill, who has had back issues and has done a great job of losing weight, working out, and living right, and feels better than he has in a long time, said to me, he goes, well, look, Tiger found the best surgeon in the country, probably paid a million dollars for the surgery, and then sat in bed for a year and didn't lift anything larger than a pound. Because Tiger Woods has the ability to do that. I'm like, okay. I guess that's possible. I'm always going to hold out, I'm going to reserve 5% of disbelief, maybe 10, that anything that doesn't look right, that doesn't smell right, can't be right. Anything that looks too, too good to be true probably isn't. This is a medical miracle that Tiger Woods is now back playing week after week. He's playing more events now than he used to do. And he's obviously practicing a ton because his game is looking sharper and sharper and sharper, and that's only through repetition and balls and balls and balls and practice and practice and practice. I'm going to reserve a little bit of that to go, okay, what could he be on? HGH, something else. When was he last tested? And the other thing is maybe if, if Tiger were taking something that he knew was banned to help him recover from an injury, some people might say, well, so what? It's not performance enhancing. It's trying to get his life back together. That's an argument for a different day. That's a whole different argument unto itself. And there's another element, which is what if Tiger knows that he's going to take whatever shit he has to take to get healthy, knowing that it might light up a million red lights the next time his piss goes to the Ponte Vedra headquarters down there at the PGA Tours head, H, HQ. And what if he knows all this, and then he also knows, ain't no fucking way that, uh, not Tim Fincham because he's gone, the new guy, is going to light me up and say, oh, well, well, this comeback's over. We're suspending Tiger Woods. We found traces of human growth hormone uh, in his blood or in his urine. Not going to happen. So let's just enjoy the comeback, and let's just assume it was a medical miracle. Let's just assume that he had a great back surgeon. He didn't lift anything more than a pound for a year, and he has put in the time and the work to come back like this. Okay, I can do that. I I told you. I'm only reserving 10% of disbelief for, hey, wait a minute. Back to Sunday, though. Here he is, one shot down, coming to 18. He just made a 44-foot bomb on number 17. Crowd is jacked. The tournament is there. Why didn't he hit driver on 18? I know he's been hitting that stinger great with his irony. I know he wanted to make sure he found the fairway. But, man, you got to blow it up there like 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 uh, Patrick Reed did. Blue driver up there, had 130 yards in, wedge in his hand, thought he had nailed it, didn't quite carry it up the ridge, and then he vomited and three-putted and he was out. Tiger needed to hit driver on 18. Everybody hits driver these days in golf. Driver's the easiest club to hit sometimes. It's the biggest face. It doesn't curve as much as three woods. 
Yes, Tiger Woods can hit a 7-iron 185. In fact, I'm not even sure what he hit into 18. He had the longest into 18 of anyone in the field who had hit the fairway that day, according to the announcers. And he had a nice shot into the middle of the green, but he didn't get it back up there on that little shelf. And he had a very tricky putt from pretty good long distance, and he didn't make it. I just wonder why Tiger Woods wouldn't think like, hey, you know what? I've got house money right now. I am one shot back of a playoff. I have just made a bomb on 17. This place is alive. Fuck it. Driver. All day, every day. Let's go win this thing. Didn't do it. Which is interesting. And I'm not second-guessing Tiger Woods, but I'm second-guessing Tiger Woods. The fans were unbelievable. What is going on with you know, golf fans, both fans who are regular tour fans that are going to go to an event, even if it is Justin Thomas versus Ollie Schneiderjans. Uh, those fans are loving Tiger back in the mix now. And, of course, everyone who doesn't watch golf, unless Tiger Woods is in the mix, are also coming back right now. Kids who are too young to have remembered when Tiger Woods was, was dominant. I saw a kid get a Tiger Woods autograph. Uh, it was a little viral clip that was pushed out. Gets a Tiger autograph and just thrusts his hand skyward. Leans his head back and has this expression of, yes. I love it. I love it. There's a whole gen. I mean, this kid was eight years old, ten years old. I felt like saying, look here, little Jimmy. You, you don't even know, man. You weren't even alive the last time. Tiger Woods did shit that you couldn't believe. All right, I want to get to the Darius Geist story at the Combine with the questions about, do you like men? And I guess another question about, is his mother a prostitute? That's going to have to wait for another day on the Zavecast because time to get to the tournament. I caught up with Chris Knocke, former head coach at American University in the 1990s, former player under Gary Williams at AU when Gary was at AU, current Terps radio analyst. I woke him up early. I talked about the Ruin Selection Show. I asked if he missed Billy Packer. We went through the outrages, both actual and fictional. We talked about is this Virginia's year. We talked Duke, North Carolina chances. I asked about if Xavier is ready for prime time. I mistakenly called Chris Mack Mick Cronin. Mack, of course, is the coach at Xavier. Cronin is, is at Cincinnati. They're both very good. They're both very bald. They're both in Ohio, and I mixed it up. So when you hear that in the interview, just remember, don't email me on that. I realized it as soon as I was done hanging up with Naki. We'll also talk, I'll also talk to him about will Patino coach again next year and the disappointment of the Terps not being in the NIT. So Outrage Monday is the biggest one-day windstorm in sports radio. It howls today, and the sun rises tomorrow. And as you like to say, Naki, the dogs bark. But the caravan moves on. Exactly. That said, what was actually an outrage yesterday, aside from the selection show itself, oh where, you, where you had otherwise respected guys like uh, Ernie Johnson eating pizza as a promotional spot on the uh, air. I, you know what? I mean, I, I, <laughs> let's talk about the show first. Eh? Okay, let's that, get that into was, the show I, first. Absolutely atrocious. And, you know, I, I thought, and I understand kind of the cross promotion and the true TV, TBS, you know, that, that sort of consortium of channels that they use to show every game. Right. And, and, you know, and to do that, they employ the TBS cadre of NBA guys. Those guys act like, I mean, I, I listen to those guys sometimes and I think, 
you know, they haven't seen but, uh, you know, uh, maybe two college games all year long. Uh, you know, Kenny Smith, you know Kenny Smith is watching his Tar Heels. Sure. I just don't, I don't think that they're they're watching anything. And uh, I, I uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it. The live audience was atrocious. <laughs> the dead um, audience, they, as I call it. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they messed with one of the, uh, I mean, uh, they messed with one of the great franchises in in sports, really, the selection show, uh, and and they, they 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 dumbed it down. They made it. They, it was just awful. Yeah, it was, they they it, it tricked it up. They dumbed it down. They did a lot yeah. of dribbling through the legs. They shot yeah. unnecessary threes. It was ridiculous from start to finish. And the fact that it wasn't on CBS for the first time in my lifetime yeah. was a it was a psychic blow to me, Naki, because. I still believe in the primacy of network television and that yeah. when something is on CBS or ABC or NBC, more. it means more. And yeah. and it used to be, here's the other thing while we're bitching on a Monday, it used to be there were games worth watching on Sunday. Am I right? Absolutely. We well. used to roll from the ACC championship game in the early afternoon to yep. the Big Ten championship game opposite the SEC, and then you ran face first on CBS into the selection show at 6 o'clock. Yesterday, you had to go looking for the selection show on TBS. Well, usually, too, remember, you get a lot of, uh, obviously, you get studio time. You'll always get, like, Gumble in the studio. But a lot of, remember, the, the for several years now, they've got a Jim Nance courtside with, you know, who just got done doing the Big Ten game. With, right. Kellogg or Bill, it used to be Billy Packer, and and that was a part of the process. Zip, I got sick to my stomach that when the show opened and I heard the the live audience, I heard the clapping. Oh uh, yeah. Oh man, they're not doing this, are they? Yeah, and, they are. They are. They they, they, they obviously <laughs> everyone wants to be College Game Day, Naki. Well, there's yeah. a difference. College Game Day, you better have some college kids hepped up on Red Bull and vodka at 7 a.m., ready yep. to go. Not a bunch of, hey, I'm wandered into the studio. What are you doing? I hear you, man. I hear you. So, well, all right, so that was that was ridiculous, and yeah. it was just too bad because maybe we can make the selection show great again somehow. We'll get some hats. We'll get some hats with just the slogan, make the selection show great again, <laughs> and we'll get it back on CBS. I, by the way, one more last ad. I swear to God, I never in my lifetime thought I would say this, but I miss Billy Packer. I miss his condescending grumpiness. I missed his arrogance. He used to sniff and chortle at certain seeds and be very highfalutin, and I used to hate him for it. I miss it now. Well, I, I, you know, if it's any consolation, I think that Seth Davis has completely overtaken, taken over the that role. Arrogance, arrogance mantle. Right, but he, he, he looks too blow-dried. He looks yeah, too yeah, yeah, cute yeah. and approachable. The great thing about Billy Packer was he was such a great heel being an old, bald man who just yeah. didn't give a flip. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. All right. All right, so that said, because the dogs do bark and the caravan moves on, we will we will give a moment here for a few outrages. Uh, I try not to nitpick too much on the committee, but there were two that stood out to me. One is, how can you deny a second-place team in a Power 5 conference like USC and instead take a ninth-place team like Arizona State? And how can you take an Oklahoma team that came in colder than Ted Williams' head at 4 and 11 <laughs> for the last 15. I'm not saying who I would have put in besides those two. All I'm saying is I can't comprehend those. Your thoughts. 
Yeah, I, uh, I Arizona State is a, is a problem for me. I, I'm not wild about Oklahoma getting in. I, you know, the one thing that's not lost on me, Zay, are a couple of teams I thought were deserving. Uh, USC, uh, as you said, second place in, in the in a Power Five conference. How about Oklahoma State doesn't get in, and they beat Oklahoma twice, and they swept Kansas. They beat Kansas in in Lawrence. Right. Nobody does that. Right. You think they would count for something? Yeah, well, you'd think. And you know what those two teams have in common? Arizona State, and, and you know, well, some of these teams have in common, particularly well, like USC for one, and and I believe Oklahoma State were were named in that FBI report. So is Louisville. Louisville was, you know, right. uh, was among those, you know, gathering votes, I guess, under consideration. And, um, you know, and none of them got in. And I don't know if you're the conspiracy theory, here, yeah. theory guy here. But uh, it's awfully you know, maybe, convenient maybe looking. I, I guess the vacating office didn't want extra work if this thing goes badly. But <laughs> but is, is there is there a guy, a single guy in charge of uh, a, a trophy vacation? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the director of vacations. He's the one that goes in and takes things down. He takes trophies out of cases, banners out of the ceiling. It's a hello, and it's a job that's going to have to be staffed up here in the coming months. All right, but no. He, Hey, so, by, by the way, let me get let me get one more piece of yeah, outrage out to yeah. you. Okay, Syracuse getting in. All right, um, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the program. I think we've discussed this ad nauseum. But yeah. it, one of the things that strikes me is the fact that it was a year ago this week that Beheim savaged the committee for Syracuse not getting in last year. And as I've maintained to you forever, the reason that coaches bitch. Is because it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, it's not lost on me. I, I didn't think they had a snowball's chance. As it turns out, they're the last team in. And I, I've i seen them play. You know, Maryland, obviously, we were up there this year. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. I, I They were underwater in the in the ACC and, uh, and didn't exactly tear up the ACC tournament either. I, I blame the greater Syracuse media, sports media conspiracy. On that one, there, there's so much power and influence with so many Syracuse grads in in sports media that that's why they get in. And normally, I would jump on board and savage Syracuse as well, but I did it the year they got slipped in the back door, and then Naki went to the Final Four. They went on a roll. They went, they on, went a on a roll, and I felt yep. stupid. I'm like, okay, well, I, I better shut up this time because who knows <laughs> what they're going to do. So, okay, so there's some questionable ones right there. That yeah. said, if this isn't Virginia's year then I don't quite know what year it'll uh, ever be. Zabe, they got hosed. They because? Got absolutely hosed by the committee. Well, they got they Kentucky. Did not, they didn't, yeah, they, huh? got, they got Kentucky as a five seed waiting in the early stages if Kentucky well, that's, continues. That's if, that's if Kentucky beats Arizona. And Arizona has the best player in the tournament, De- and DeAndre Ayton. That's right. You know? so, so, and both of those teams pose Issues for Virginia. It's, it's not. It's not. And I, I got to tell you, Tony Bennett is is a lock for best coach in the country this year. I mean, coach of the year, hands down. What he did, you know, watching him play, they're not. They don't wow you physically. You know, they got they got more shooters than they have. You know, but I mean, it's just so impressive the way they've gone about their business. If they get to the Final Four, and they would have to go through either, obviously. Uh, you know Kentucky or or Arizona, but they've also got Xavier as a two, and you know I mean, I mean excuse me, Cincinnati is a two. Cincinnati will get down in the mud with you. You know they'll they'll, they'll <laughs> wait in the mud just like Virginia does. Right. Tough game. Well, the four five that you mentioned, Arizona, Kentucky, 
That is a four seed in Arizona that has the number one pick in the NBA draft in Aiton. So that sucks when they're in your bracket. And yep. Kentucky, even though their current crop of future NBA players is not as impressive as Calipari's previous crops, there's still going to be a lot of NBA players off that roster, right? Well, the other thing is is that they have peaked at the right time. They had right. a great weekend this weekend at the SEC. And uh, so you're playing them at exactly the wrong time to be playing them. So that 4-5 is far more formidable than, let's say, the Gonzaga-Ohio State 4-5 that is in Xavier's bracket. More formidable than the Auburn-Clemson 4-5 that faces Kansas in the Midwest. Yeah, I would definitely think so. And certainly more formidable than the 4-5 combo of Wichita State and West Virginia in Villanova's bracket. that is a great game. I'd love to see that game, Wichita State and West Virginia. Because? I just think that, uh, I think it's too tough, hard-nosed teams that will rip your testicles off. Yeah. Yeah, give it, given the chance. And, it, we, I mean, you talk about just slinging rocks at each other. It'll be, it'll be absolute mayhem. All right, when we talk tournament, let's talk Duke, of course. Duke is a two-seed in the Midwest opposite Kansas. Uh, you had another Grayson Allen incident over the <laughs> weekend with his butt trip, and I've got no sympathy for him because he's a chippy, dirty player, but whatever. What do you think of Kay and Duke's chances this year? Yeah, I think uh, I think they got put in a great spot. Um, you know, they, it sort of sets up a Sweet 16 matchup um, that's a uh, against Michigan State, who of course they played in an epic game to start the season. And um, I mean, they think both teams are, are dramatically better than they were at that point in time. That will be a, a terrific game if everything goes according to seed. But I, I think Duke's in a in a really good spot for themselves, uh, given the way the Midwest sets up. And KU improved so much this year. I, you know, I don't know if the big fella is going to be available for them in the tournament. Um, they had really nice play this weekend from a couple of subs, but. I think Duke is a really strong number, too. All right. Out in the West, the number one seed is Xavier. It's got to be the first time in program history they've been a one seed, right? Yes. Okay. Will they get dizzy being a one seed? Because sometimes when a school or a team is in a place they're not really comfortable, it affects them. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think they're they're really skilled. You know, they've got a... They got a 2,000 point scorer and blew it. You know who who who's had a really great career. Decided to come back for this last year, and um, you know they've got a they've got an experienced group of guys. I don't think they'll get dizzy at all. I think they got themselves uh, really great matchups to get into the you know um, you know I think it, it, probably into the 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 eight the round of eight, and then things get kind of dicey for them at that point. You you like their coach Cronin. Yeah, he's really good. You know, we played them last year in the, in the NCAA tournament, and he's just solid. I mean, he uh, he coaches them up. There's no question about it. And they're hard-nosed, too. I talked about Wichita State and West Virginia. They're kind of cut from the same cloth. I remember I saw Xavier and Cronin uh, at the sub-regional in Milwaukee a, a while ago. It might have been six years ago or something like that. Number yep. one, his wife is great because she was not only – I was sitting in the stands near his wife – and she was cheering on the home team, but she was also giving her 
to the referees and anybody else. I was like, now that's a dedicated basketball wife. Oh, a woman after my own heart. Absolutely. Yeah, she was yeah. great. But also, I just was watching him closely, and I was like, this guy, this guy's got something going on. So I, 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 I kind of early on saw this guy's got some real potential. So Xavier is is really uh, skating in a place they haven't been, but they've got a great team and they got a great chance. North Carolina is the two seed opposite of them. What are your thoughts on Roy and his squad this year? Yeah, I think uh, you know they're good. Obviously, they're North Carolina. They wear their they wear their jerseys, you know. But I think they've got some tough matchups. I, I think you know I thought I was really impressed by Houston this weekend. Um, Obviously, Michigan had been on an incredible run. I, I don't know what the two weeks off will do to Michigan. I, I, they were so good through the Big Ten tournament. If they, if they're able to pick up and play at that level, they could easily get to, you know, to, to a round of eight game against Xavier. Cause, uh, um, but they're going to have to go through Houston and probably North Carolina to do that. Uh, so I think Carolina's got some issues. I, I think that, um, I think getting to getting to uh, the the elite eight would be a would be a remarkable accomplishment for them, and they'd be playing probably Xavier in that game. All right, unlike most uh, bracket interviews on a Monday, I am not going to make you pick every game. I'm not even going to make you pick any games, or for that matter, I'm not even going to get for, ask you for a Final Four because we all know that that becomes obsolete after about one weekend. But I do <laughs> want to do this. I want to I want to short a three, and I want to pimp a twelve. So I'm going to give you the four three seeds, and I want you to tell me one stock to short of a highly seeded team that are currently on the three line. Tennessee in the south. We've got uh, Michigan in the west. We have got, uh, let's see, I can't read this morning, Texas Tech in the east, and then we have Michigan State in the midwest. Short one of those three or four three seeds. I'm going to go with Texas Tech. Um, they lost a good, you know, one of their best players, and I think that they're they're not coming in playing to the level that the other three threes are. Okay, let's pimp a twelve. Twelve seed Davidson against Kentucky. We've got a twelve seed in South Dakota State against Ohio State. We have a ding, tw- ding, there ding, it is ding, right there. Ding. You don't even have to go past that. That's the yeah. one right there, South they, Dakota they, State. They, absolutely, they, they, they're they're coached up. They got an experienced team too. They've been to the NCAA tournament. They're used to winning. You know, Ohio State had a singularly phenomenal year from Keita Bates Diop, who was the Big Ten Player of the Year. Um, but I, I just, I think that's a that is a that game is a problem for Ohio State. Okay, there it is. Uh, real quick, uh, will uh, excuse me, will Rick Pitino coach again next year because he's hired an agent and he wants back in the game. I keep hearing, I heard his name associated with Georgia yesterday. It would be remarkable to me if he were hired. But you know what? If he gets hired, I mean, it's, it's just an incredible statement to me because it, if he gets hired, it means that the president's or a president doesn't give a damn. They don't give a flip about any potential uh, ramifications nothing, down the road. About but he, nothing. But he, about, currently, he currently doesn't have a show cause on his name, so he could be hired, correct? Could be hired now. Yeah. Now, I don't know if, if you can impose a show cause, you know, this late after the fact. It surprises me he does not have one. But, uh, um, yeah, it, it clearly indicates the presidents are in it for for one thing, and that is the creation of a, <laughs> of a spigot, a revenue <laughs> spigot. Right, right. Well, we shall see. And then lastly, uh, Maryland not invited to the NIT. Your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it's kind of disappointing because I like the younger guys to play a little bit. I, as the, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of torn because I wasn't, 
I'm, I'm like, you know, most Maryland fans. I wasn't really wild about the notion of playing the NIT. It's one of those, it is what it is, Dave. It doesn't really, I, I get paid by the game, so I would like, I would <laughs> like to have had a couple extra games. You're such a mercenary. That's a selfish, selfish way to look at it. Okay. Life will go on. And, yep. and I guess, did, was there any consideration to play in the CBI? Or I don't the... think so. You know, you know, teams that play in the CBI, I think, have to write a $40,000 check to, to play in that thing. Oh, well, and Wallace Lowe's got that kind of long green. It's no big deal well, to him. I mean, it's, why would you... I don't know. It just you're all, it's completely off the radar when you play in that in that thing. And I, I think for some programs, you know, it might not be a bad idea. Just at this point in time, let's let's look forward to next year. Let's end with this today. There's a lot of things that we all don't like about our elected leaders, no matter what party they are in. And there's a lot of things a lot of us don't like about how our government is run, no matter who's in charge. And there are certain issues that are more enraging about modern government than others. And I will admit that of all the countries in the world, I still think we have the best system by far and away of everybody else. In fact, I think somebody said capitalist democracy is the worst system of governance ever, except for every other system of governance that has ever been invented on planet Earth. And for that, I would tend to agree. Here's the one that drives me crazy. It's when governments blow your cash, blow my cash, blow your cash in the most irresponsible of ways. And it happens all the time. And I know when I tell you this story, you go, really? You're mad about that? At least that's going to eventually be something good that people will want, unlike this war in Afghanistan, unlike this, unlike that, unlike Trump's wall. Hey, I'm not making a judgment one way or the other. I am just marveling at a boondoggle when I see one. This story is by Ed Morrissey on hotair.com. The headline writes, or the headline reads, "You'll never guess what California's bullet train will cost or when it will finish." Morrissey begins by writing, "That may sound like a clickbaity headline, but it's proving to be literally true. Apparently no one can guess it." Least of all, the California High Speed Rail Authority, or CHSRA. They're the ones running the bullet train project. And this project was going to be a high-speed train that connected Los Angeles to San Francisco and the Central Valley of California. When they approved government money or taxpayer money in the form of bonds to build this thing, of course, they had to say what it's going to cost. In 2008, they said the bullet train would cost $33 billion or more because these things do tend to run over budget sometimes. $33 billion plus. The second thing was they said it'll be, it should be ready in 8 to 10 years for the first leg and then fully completed sometime after that. Well, here we are 8 years on, actually 10 years on, and it doesn't work. It still isn't completed, and the cost of it is through the roof. Instead of $33 billion, the latest estimate is that it'll cost $77 billion and could rise as high as $98 billion. And it keeps going up and up and up. The disclosures are from a 114-page business plan 
that was issued in draft form on Friday by the Rail Authority before public hearings and formal submissions to the state legislature of California in about 60 days. And boy, though, aren't those about to be a doozy. <laughs> Someone said business plan. That's a going out of business plan. The new estimates will force California's leadership to double down on its political and financial commitments if it wants to see the system completed against a backdrop of rising costs, years of delays, strident litigation, and backlashes in communities where homes, businesses, farms, and environmental preserves will have to give up land for the train to have right-of-way. Wow. It would, the smartest thing right now would just be to take whatever money was spent and I'm not sure how much is actually down the drain. It's billions and billions of dollars. And quit. Quit while you are behind. Because they say that there won't even be a connection between San Francisco to the Central Valley of California until 2029. That's 11 more years. Do you know what technologies we're going to have in 2029? I don't. I can't imagine them. If we don't have drones and hover cars by then, something's wrong. Who's going to get on a train in 2029? Also, they're not even sure how to connect that part of the system. There's other problems connecting it from L.A. to the Central Valley. They initially said that they were going to keep the rates for this miracle train at 50% of airline prices. So that was going to be the hook. Hey, it's going to cost half as much as an airplane ticket. And guess what? It's going to go almost as fast. Then they raise their estimate to say, well, we're going to peg it at 83% of airline prices when the costs ballooned a bit to $42 billion for the project. Who knows by the time it's done, the rail is probably going to cost 200% of airline prices at that time. Again, it's not my money. I don't live in California, so what do I care? And yes, the government, our government, state government, national government, You name it, blows money, hand over fist, on a ton of things. But this particular boondoggle is one that still blows my mind. That'll do it for me today. Good to be back with you in your earphones on the ZabeCast. Remember, you know the drill. Give me a good rating on iTunes. Thank you for that. Download, subscribe as well in all the places you get your podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, etc. I'll be adding more outlets all the time. Give me feedback. Email me, zabe at yahoo.com. Tell two friends and spread the word. We're back, baby. Tournament time. Free agent week in the NFL. It's going to be awesome. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.